But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we pray as we do week by week for you to join us here in this place and we trust that you are with us wherever we are worshiping you. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. In... H.G. Wells' classic novel, The Time Machine, Wells' protagonist, himself in this case, the, the novel is written in the first person, he travels into a far future where humanity has become divided into two distinct tribes, the surface-dwelling, peaceful, but kind of stupid Eloy, and the cavern-dwelling, monstrous Morlocks. Now, Wells realizes after some interaction with the Eloy on the surface that every so often a klaxon rings out from the entrance to the Morlock's underground lair, and the Eloy, in a trance, start marching down into the depths. And when the klaxon stops ringing, the trance is broken, and the Eloy, who didn't make it down, go about their lives. And what Wells discovers is that the Eloi who go down there never come back. They, in fact, become food for the Morlocks. But the Eloi, frustratingly, seem to just obey the klaxon whenever they hear it. Why, he begs them, don't they fight against this awful fate? Why don't they resist the Morlocks? Why do they just march to their demise over and over again, seemingly forever. And the answer he gets enrages him. That's just the way things are here, the Eloy shrug. That's how it is. That's how it's always been. Now, because this character is the hero of a science fiction novel, he doesn't accept the fact that this is just the way things are. He gets to work instead upending the way things are, saving the Eloi from the Morlocks and brightening humanity's future. This is what we humans do when presented with a situation that we don't think is as it should be. When we see something that we think needs to be fixed, we get to work fixing it. This urge, this get to work urge, makes it really hard, I think, to hear and to understand Jesus's parable of the sower. Now, you know the story, a sower sows seeds and they fall on different kinds of soil, some on rocky ground, some on a path, some among thorns, and each of those seeds falls prey to something. Thin soil, scavenging birds, encroaching weeds. It's only the seeds that fall on good soil that sprout and yield a good harvest. And Jesus himself gives us the interpretation of this parable. It's so clear and compact that I'll just read it to you. This is Matthew 13, verses 9 to 23. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes 
and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. When trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Aren't you starting to feel the H.G. Wells rise up inside you? This situation isn't right. Some seeds land on a path and get snatched by birds. How is that just? Or on rocky soil and can't take root? That's not fair. We start to divide the seeds into Eloy and Morlock. We start to try to fix things to get to work. We ask ourselves, how can we make sure that people are planted in good soil? What can we do to prevent people from having their faith choked out? Eventually, of course, we find ourselves starting to ask questions of a more personal nature. Is my faith deep enough? How can I make sure I'm planted in good soil? But Jesus' story resists our efforts to come in and fix things. It's so passive. Seeds sown on various types of soil. Infuriatingly, it seems to echo the maddening Eloy response when H.G. Wells asks them why they march into the depths and into the clutches of the Morlocks. That's just the way things are. Jesus here doesn't suggest a method for making sure that you're a seed that falls on good soil. He doesn't give advice for what to do if you find yourself on rocky ground, on a path, or among thorns. He doesn't tell his listeners how to avoid predatory birds or tips for increasing the reach of your root structure. This parable is much simpler than that. It is simply a description of what actually happens when the word of God is preached. Some people hear the word and don't understand it. It gets snatched away before it can gain purchase. Some people who receive the word with joy have no depth, and when trouble comes, they fall away. Some people hear the word and start to grow, but all the other stuff, what Jesus calls the cares of the world and the lure of wealth. All the other stuff grows up and chokes that growth out. But there are some people, though, who hear the word, receive it, and understand it, and seem to enjoy great exponential growth, yielding multiple times what was sown. I bet... As I was describing those seeds, you were thinking of people in your life, including probably yourself, who have at various points been like each of these seeds, 
sown on different soils. And here's Jesus at least seeming to say, that's just the way things are. And that's, well, it's unsatisfying, but it's not just unsatisfying. It's also terrifying. I'm reminded of his conversation with Nicodemus, in which Jesus is teaching the Jewish teacher about being reborn in the Holy Spirit. He compares the Spirit's movement to that of the wind. The wind blows, he says, wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The inscrutable Holy Spirit blowing wherever he pleases would be terrifying if we didn't know that our God was good and merciful, sending his son to save us from sin and death. It would be terrifying if we didn't know that we could trust the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's mission. As Jesus says in John chapter 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what is this declaration? How are we to understand this parable? What does it have to say to us? Is there any good news here? Well, first, we need to put away our H.G. Wells desire to control this story, to make it come out the way we'd like, to rescue the Eloi from the Morlocks, to figure out a way to empower the seeds we think are sown on undesirable ground to somehow move themselves onto more fertile soil. It's not good news to say, make sure you're not on a path or do whatever you can to avoid thorny ground. Now, that is certainly good advice and counsel we should all take to heart. We should try to deepen our relationship with God, be watered with his word, and grow long, strong roots. We should avoid situations in which the thorns of this world threaten to grow up around us. We should surround ourselves with faithful Christians who can support us, pray for us, and encourage us. But that good advice is not good news in and of itself. And there is good news in this passage. I just think we have to look a little closer. What is it that sets the seeds sown on good soil apart from all the other seeds? Here's Jesus describing again what happens to those seeds. But as for what was sown on good soil, he says, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60 and in another 30. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. The key apparently is understanding. But what does that mean? Is this just another H.G. Wells save the day strategy? Another way for us to get to work? Another thing we need to do to fix the problem? We don't have to get to work 
physically, we just have to get to work mentally. We don't have to properly do something, but we have to properly understand something. Is this just one more thing to be worried about? Another way of saying, am I on the path? Am I among thorns? Do I understand properly? Do I understand enough? No. That's not good news. And this is good news here. Let me give you an example of what I think Jesus means when he says to hear the word and to understand it. In John chapter 6, we have a whole chapter of Jesus doing in relatively quick succession a long series of mind-blowing things. Things that are, by any definition, hard to understand. He's fed 5,000 hungry people with five loaves and two fish. He's walked four miles across rough water to join the disciples on a boat in the middle of a lake. He's begun to teach about his body as bread, a bread that he will give for the life of the world. These miracles and teachings are starting to overwhelm his disciples. They don't understand. And many of them leave. They turn away. They go home. You might even say that some of them are seeds sown on a path or on rocky ground or among the thorns. And so Jesus, at the end of John chapter 6, turns to the twelve, his closest friends, and asks them if they're going to leave too. This is John chapter 6, verses 67 and 68. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. This is the kind of understanding we need. An understanding of our need. An understanding that we would all be one of those other seeds, but for the miraculous intervention of Jesus Christ. And so we see that this understanding is not an accomplishment upon which we can hang our hats. It's not something about which we can say, look what I've done. Look how well I understand. It's not a seed picking itself up off the path and planting itself in good soil. In fact, it's not an accomplishment at all. Instead, it's an acknowledgement that Christ has saved us completely outside ourselves. We are simply a seed that has been sown by the grace of God onto good soil. We understand this parable by taking off our H.G. Wells hero cape and letting Jesus be the hero of the story, the Savior of the world. So if you're sitting in this church this morning or watching online or listening later, hear this good news. Of Jesus Christ. Are you worried? Do you fear that your faith isn't deep enough? 
that it will be snatched away before it can take root, that the troubles and distractions of the world will crowd it out, that you don't understand enough, fear not. In Christ Jesus, you do not need to do anything. You need only to receive him. He is the good soil. He gives the growth. He creates faith, sustains faith, and brings a bountiful harvest. As Peter said, he is the word of life. He has the word of life, and he is the word of life. In that same section of John 16, in which Jesus is conferring the comfort of the Holy Spirit onto the disciples, assuring them that though the Spirit's work can't be seen, he will lead them into all truth. Jesus has another word of comfort for those of us worried about what kind of soil we've been sown on. In this world, says Jesus, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So take heart this morning. Jesus Christ is good soil, and he has overcome the world. In a moment, we're going to say the Nicene Creed together, affirming or reaffirming our faith in the God who sent the Son to save, to be the life we fail to live, and to rescue us from the snares of the world's soils that lead to death. So say the creed with us today, admitting that it is by grace alone that you are planted in good, fertile soil, filled by the Holy Spirit and growing in his name by his work. Make Peter's confession with us. Lord Jesus, where can we go? You're all we have. And you're all we need. Amen.